Amen. What a great God we serve. Amen. I got to tell you, I had a great trip last week, and uh, and I hope it's changed me. <laughs> I thought I went out there for Aubrey, but in all reality, I went out there for me. See, YWAM is a youth organization which I thought was established for youth. And uh, what I found out, it was a, uh, an organization established for people. And uh, they have ages all out there of, of ages from uh, obviously 17 years old all the way up to their mid-20s. But then they have a group of people up there called Crossroads that are into their uh, my age and older and retirees, people that are finding that God is calling them to do something different with their life, even at a middle age. And uh, uh, it was a, I had a great experience out there with some of these older folks. I had a great experience with some of the younger folks. But uh, the first night I was there, uh, the, they have an open-air eating facility. It's just a really nice campus facility there. Aubrey was busy with some of her ex functions, and so I was eating by myself, and I sat down at a table and had to have a dinner, and, and uh, some of these older folks sat down around me and just started to have a nice conversation. And, and uh, we started talking about things and talking about what they do and talking about what I'm doing. I told them I was there with my daughter there for a week. Um, she's with you know, that organization with the Awaken DTS, which is a discipleship training school there that, that was... She was doing that, and she's going to Nepal in a week. And, and I said that she got homesick, and she needed me to come out and spend time with her and all that stuff. And, and uh, they said, well, what are, you, what are you really here for? <laughs> and I started talking to them about the church and talked about some of the stuff we were going through. And, you know, they really poured into me for about two hours. And we prayed. Right there in that open, open pavilion in that open cafeteria from about 6 o'clock to about well, almost nine hours, 3 hours, about 9 o'clock. And they just prayed and they prayed and they prophesied and they drove out stuff in my life and they, they drove out pride. Sorry. And they just became a new friend and they became a new family. Daryl and Shane and Jane, the three of them, great people. And, and they saw some things in my life, and they helped me, and they, they just, it was really good. It was really good. This morning, like I said, I, I walked out of that experience with a little different perspective on Christianity. And, uh, and I know that I have to be careful here, because I know that I can become, I know how overly reactive people can become when you have a new experience come into your life, and you can become so infatuated with a concept for a, a bubble of a time. But I really am praying that God never removes this bubble. In fact, I pray that he blows it up in me, and it just keeps growing, keeps getting bigger. But what I walked out of there with, with was this realization, I guess, that we in America are suffering from a a curse, if you will, called complacency. We have a lot of complacent Christians in America. In fact, as I even spoke to Aubrey's team, there's nine, nine kids of, well, that she's going to be going with to Nepal. I had an opportunity to spend some time with them, and I prayed with them, and I talked with them. And I, I actually had them pray for me. And I said, guys, you know, I know you're going to Nepal. You're going to a tough place of the world. 
But, you know, I'm going to a tough place, too. I'm going to America. And in America, it can be even one of the hardest places, or as, as any educated country can be, Europe as well. Germany is a tough country as well. A lot of other highly educated companies are, or countries are difficult because we have people that are, have so long been in church that are so church knowledgeable that we have our own set ways of doing things and we have a justification process that really takes over and we look at the Bible but I'm not so surely really sure that we read the Bible not really sure that we take it seriously really not sure that we really understand what the Bible is saying to us anymore and because we have such a form of religion and and the devil plays heavy here this is where the devil brings in religious spirits here and the demonic spirits that really come and how they play into the church world with complacency. And let me ask you the question, can there be such a thing as a complacent Christian? Can there be such a thing as a complacent Christian? Well, let's, let's look at this. I, I, I'm not so sure if, that we really can have a complacent Christian because I'm not sure that a, that a true Christian can be complacent. You may be calling yourself a Christian, but if you're complacent, are you really a Christian? It reminds me when I was, uh, when I got my pilot's license, when I was um, coming through high school, um, I went up to Saint, Sault Ste. Marie to take my test and passed the test, and I'm walking to the, to the hangar, or out of the, out of the hangar with the, with the instructor, the, the examiner, and he said, son, I was only 17 years old, he said, son, put his arm around me, and he's an older man, he said, I want to tell you one thing. He said, um, let me tell you this little saying, and I don't want you to ever forget it. He said, there are old pilots and there are bold pilots, but there are no old, bold pilots. So in other words, if you're going to fly a plane very long, you better not be too bold or you're not going to get too old because you're going to get yourself in trouble. All right? So that little saying has stuck with me forever. Now, let me ask the question, and I could say it the same way I believe. I know complacent people, and I know Christian people, but is there such thing as complacent Christian people? And that's the challenge that I came back with today. That's the challenge in my life, because, you know, I'm just as, I'm just as Americanized as you are. I, I have all the same... Upbringing, I have all the same religious training as you have. And I understand religious spirits, and I understand how easy it is to fall into the trap of having my form of Christianity and my form of religion and being comfortable in that. But when I looked up complacency, it says complacency is defined as smugness, self-satisfaction, contentment, self-righteousness. And when I look up what it means to be Christ-like or a Christian, a Christian really means to be Christ-like, I see that to be like Christ, relating to Christ, kind, unselfish, putting others first. And then I try to say, okay, now with those two definitions, can I put complacent Christians together? That means that I would have to see a smug Jesus or a self-satisfied 
self-serving, self-focused Jesus. I would have to see a self-righteous Jesus. I don't see Jesus as being any of those, do you? When you think of Jesus, do do any of those words describe Jesus? See, but self-righteousness, contentment, smugness, self-satisfaction, that defines complacency. So if I'm going to be Christ-like, how can I make complacent Christianity come together when the terms don't match? So I'm challenged this morning that we need to understand who we are. Are we complacent or are we Christians? Because we can't be complacent Christians. It doesn't come together. We have a complacency in our form of religion but I'm not so sure that if we're going to allow ourselves to be complacent, are we truly pleasing God? Are we truly going to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, at the end of the day? In the past few weeks, we've been speaking on our identity and how, and how essential it is that, that we understand what we are and who we are and that we have a proper perspective. Identity is really important. Are we complacent? Are we aggressive? Now I know that we have to be careful here because I know how easily it is that I can, become, I can go over the top or anybody can go over the top and set expectations that are just undoable. So I don't want to do that this morning. I'm not trying to set an expectation. I'm not trying to come hard. I'm not critical. I'm not condemning. I'm just coming with a challenging message for all of us this morning that we all would grasp it at any age that we grasp this and say, do I really want Jesus? How much do I want Jesus? How much? How much do I really want him? So uh, this morning I really believe that a simple one-line statement here that gives us a warning and an indicator is that complacency is the church's worst nightmare and the devil's dream. Complacency is the, is the church's worst nightmare in the devil's dream because the, the devil loves complacency. The devil loves it. Now, what does complacency look like? What are some things that you would recognize in your soul, in your life, if you have complacency? Complacency looks like this. It looks like, it looks like excuses. I can't do that. I have excuses. Someone else will do it. If I can't do it, I'm not really gifted to be used of God. I'm really not comfortable in moving into things of God. I'm comfortable in my own form of religion. I'm comfortable in my own form of Christianity, the way I've always done it. I've been a Christian for a long time, and I have my way of Christianity, and I'm comfortable there. And I'm not, I don't want to be challenged with something new. I don't want to be challenged with a new idea. It sounds like complacency. I don't have time to worship. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to read the Word. I'm too busy. I'm too busy with other things in life. Complacency is the church's worst nightmare and the devil's dream. Now, I understand that everybody's different, and everybody has different set of gifts. Everybody's a different set of, of functions and activities. And I think that's what Pastor Ted talked about last week. I listened to his message that he spoke last week, and I thought it was awesome. I thought he did a great job. I would have liked to have seen Dan in the chair. 
I would have liked to have seen that. That sounded like it was just a great, a, a great example. And I think that by uh, him spending the time to talk to us about the importance of all of us having a function, all of us having a ministry, right? From the pulpit, I'm sorry, from the parking lot to the pulpit and everywhere in between, ministry has to happen at all levels. You can't leave it to a certain few. It's not functioning. So I really like what he said. I thought he was right on, and, and, and that's really good. So this, this morning, I, I just want to challenge all of us this morning in, in whatever it is that God is asking you to do in this church, do it with all that you have. Get the complacency out of your life when it comes to doing what God's asking you to do in this church or in this community. Wherever you're at, get the complacency out. But how do we do that? You know, it's easy to say it, but how do we do it? How do we do it? And I struggled with this message. I really did because I knew that I would come across, and I knew I could come across really heavy. I know I can become that way. And I really struggled. In fact, I talked to Jackie on Friday or maybe for the rehearsal at the wedding, and I thought, you know, Jack, I don't know where to go. I have... I have no idea what to say on Sunday. I don't know what to say. I don't know where to go. And I went to bed Friday night, not knowing having any really what any idea where this was going to go. And I woke up in the night, and the Lord really placed in my heart, I believe, that the way to get through complacency is through worship. Is through worship, not work. Not work, because see, I could come home. And, and any leader could come home and say, we're going to do all these things. We're gonna, our vision is we are going to have a Royal Rangers program, and we're going to have a, a, a ministry to um, special needs families, and we're going to you know, fill up the Sunday school classes, and we're going to work, 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 and we're going to do all these things. But the Lord really placed in my heart and said, that's not the point, Mike. You're missing the point if that's what you think it is. It's really worship. You worship me, and your work will flow out of it. But if you work, that's not worship. That's self-righteousness. That's my way of doing it. And so the Lord really placed in me Friday night, worship, worship, worship. What we need to do is worship. We need to spend time in the process of worshiping God, getting in His presence on a daily basis. Worship is the process of honoring God, and it's what we did today. It's what we're going to do in a little bit more, but it's what we have to do every day, guys. Every day we have to worship. This is not limited to Sunday morning because worship is not singing. Yes, it's a part of worship, but true worship is not singing the songs. True worship is, a, is an attitude of my heart. It's an attitude that I will keep that going every day, every moment of the day. I don't take worship off. I don't take it off and set it on the side and say, I'm not going to worship now, I'm going to go to work. No, I'm worshiping in my work. I'm worshiping in my day activities. I'm worshiping all the time. Life is made up of a continuous worship service. That's what true Christianity is. Now, I'm going to show you what worship is like in heaven. If you'd open your Bible or look at the screen... Revelations chapter 4 tells us, gives us a description of what worship is. If you think worship is boring, if you think worship is something that lasts just for a little bit of time, 
This is what's going on in heaven. Revelations chapter 4, verses 6 through 11, it says this. Also, before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night, here it is, day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. How is worship boring? These, these angels, these creatures, that's what he called them, four living creatures, because I certainly can't even begin to imagine what they look like. He gave us what they look like, but they were covered with eyes. That looks like a big spider to me. <laughs> but covered with eyes and a face like a lion and a face like an ox and a face like a man and an eagle. And they were amazing creations. And they floated around God all the time and said, Holy, 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 holy. Holy, holy, holy. That's what God is. God is worth holy, holy, holy all the time. Who was and is and is to come. See, and if you look back at Mark chapter 12, verse 30, we're also given an instruction. The Lord Jesus also told us. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. So I'm setting the stage here for us today so that we understand that we are as much responsible to be crying out holy, holy, holy to God as these angels were because we're instructed by Jesus to love the Lord your God with all your might, all your body, all your soul, all your strength. I would challenge anyone to say that that's too radical. Because I would challenge anyone to go unto the Word of God and find me one scripture that says that I can worship the God with half my heart. I can worship the Lord with a small effort. Uh, that, I, that I will be pleasing to the Lord if I just give a little bit. No. Pleasing to the Lord means I'm going to give it all. You see, and when I give it all like that, understand who I'm giving my all to. I'm giving my all to the creator of the universe who understands who I am, understands my limitations, and understands that when, when I do do that, I'm giving it to him, and what does he do with it? He multiplies it and gives it right back to me. He multiplies it out and says, thank you. I, I see your worship. I see your commitment. I see your honor. But I know what you need in your life, and I know you need this. Boom. And he gives it to us. You know where I get that from? 
Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, all these things are the cares of the world. If you go back and read earlier in Matthew chapter 6, you'll see that there are people chasing after the, 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 the wealth of the world and now chasing after the kingdoms of the world and everything we need here to live. Because I'm not saying that we don't need things. I'm not saying we don't need money. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that all we need is the air that I breathe. <laughs> That's a nice song. It sounds good. All I need is the air that I breathe and some other. It's a popular song, I think. But I need more than it. I need to live. I need to pay bills. I need to have a house. I need to have that. But what the Lord is saying here is that seek me first. Worship me first. And when you do that, I will give you everything you need. But if I take the perspective of, no, I'm going to get what I need first, and then what, with what I have left over, I'm going to give to God, find anywhere in the Bible that you can do that. This is where I'm talking about how we, American churches, has, we have compromised the Word of God, and we have come up with a religious spirit, because the American says, the American version says, I'm going to get everything I can get here in this world, and if I have time, I'll go to church. If I have time, I'll make it Wednesday night. If I have time, I'll read my Bible. If I have time after I do everything I want to do first, I'll pray. That's not biblical, folks. That's not what the Bible says. It's time that we open up, we take our blinders off, we get the scales off our eyes, and read the Word of God. The Word of God says, seek first the kingdom of God, and then I'll give you all these things. He never says, I'm not going to give you the things. He says, I'll give them to you after you seek me. After you spend time, after you get your priorities in order, you seek me first, and I will give you everything you need. Maybe not everything you want, but everything you need, you will have. Everything. He will not leave you wanting if you are seeking him first. See, and that's what, that's what I read from Lauren Cunningham's book. That's how I saw how they lived. And I'm not overly emphasizing Lauren Cunningham. I'm just seeing an example of a godly man, and I was challenged by it. See, and here's the beautiful thing about worship. Here's the beautiful thing about what God is doing. He's asking us. In fact, I'm going to say a little bit stronger. He's requiring of us something that everybody can do. Everybody. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. See, God is not saying to get into my presence, okay, everybody come up, everybody stand up, everybody do 25 jumping jacks. All right? Then everybody do 50 push-ups. And then everybody do 100 sit-ups. And then after you expend all that energy, now you can worship me. Because you know why he doesn't do that? Because there are some people that couldn't do that. There are some people in, in sitting in retirement homes right now that couldn't do that. But that's not God's requirement. God says, worship me. Everybody can worship him. It's not limited to your physical ability. Or what happens if you said, okay, everybody has to give $1,000 per week in the offering, and you have to provide meals to every hungry person you see. Every person you see that's hungry, you have to give them a meal. And, by the way, you have to take um, your house and your car, and you have to sell it. And you have to give it to the poor. See, that's not God's requirement. He's not saying that. 
to worship him. He's not putting requirements. He's not putting boundaries on it. He's saying, worship me. I don't care how old you are. I don't care if you're limited to a bed. I don't care if you're limited to um, any, any limitation you have. We all can worship the Lord. And when we do that, it unlocks heaven's blessings on us. God is not requiring anything from a person other than what God gives you the ability to do. Now, I said a pretty strong statement a minute ago. I said that this was a requirement. And I know when people say requirements, that kind of makes people uneasy. <laughs> it makes me uneasy. I'll tell you right now, this makes me uneasy because I'm living the same message. But I look at Luke chapter 19, verse 40, and Jesus is talking to the Pharisees here. This is uh, before he comes in. This is actually uh, on the um, uh, Palm Sunday. Actually, he's being led in to Jerusalem on a donkey. And all the people around him are singing, Hosanna, Hosanna. And they're crying out and they're praising Jesus. And the Pharisees say, tell them to be quiet. Tell them to be quiet. And Jesus comes back and he says, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. So that tells me now in my life today, that if I'm going to take the attitude that I'm not going to worship God, his creation will worship God. The creation will worship God. God must be worshipped. He must be. That's, what, that's who God is. And that's not an egotistical um, God thinking more of himself than he ought to think of himself. <laughs> that's not the way God is. But God's creation or God's character is such that he deserves worship. He deserves it. He's, he's worthy of it. And we must cry out to him. We must give him worship. If we don't, the stones will cry out. Now, do you want to be guilty of that? Do you want God the Father to look at you come judgment day when you stand before him and he's going to say, you didn't worship me and as a result you forced me to make my creation worship me? Is that what you want to hear? I, don't, I know it's not. I know it's not. So as we live our life, our life must be built on priorities. Worship first. Worship first. Work flows out of worship. Work flows out of worship. Worship Jesus. That's the most important thing you can do. Every day, you worship Jesus. You spend time. You get a quiet time alone with him. You make a priority to get him alone with you and you and him and worship him. Worship takes on lots of forms. You don't have to sing. You can just spend quiet time with him. But worship him. Worship him. And here's why I say this. Because if I don't get filled up with God, if I don't fill myself up first with him, there's no way I can minister to others. I cannot minister with an empty bucket. I could not pour out a cold cup of water to someone if I didn't have it to give. So I have to fill my life up with God's blessing. I have to fill myself up with his worship. I have to fill myself up so that I can minister to other people. If I don't fill myself up first, then I can't minister. It's like on the airplane, you know, when they, they, the stewardess comes on and, 
And if you have a, a, pressure, a depressurization in the airplane, that oxygen mass falls out of the, out of the, out of the ceiling. And what they tell you is, if you're traveling with an infant or a young person, they say, put your mask on first and then put the mask on the child. See, because if you thought, well, no, that's selfish. I'm going to put the mask on the child first. Well, what happens if you get the mask down and you're having a problem with the child? And by the way, the oxygen is gone out of the compartment now. That's why you have to put the mask on because you've lost all the oxygen. You've got a few seconds, not minutes, seconds to get this thing on and breathing or there's no oxygen. And if you say, no, that's selfish to put mine on first. I'm going to put it on my child first. So you're putting it on your child. And, and say the child wiggles a little bit and squirms a little bit. And you can't get the mask on. And, and all of a sudden, you're struggling with that mask. And all of a sudden, you're running out of oxygen. And all of a sudden, you're passing out because you don't have oxygen. What's going to happen? You're both going to die. That's why they say, put the mask on you first. You can get it on so you can breathe. And then put it on the child. So you can minister to the child. And that's the same thing that worship is, guys. I can't go out with a work program in this church. I can't go to you guys and say, come on, we're going to work, we're going to work, we're going to do all these things if we don't spend time, if we're not a worshiping church. If we're not spending the time filling ourselves up with the power and the, and the, and the, and the blessing of God, there is no way we can go out and change this community. But if I spend time, if Jackie spends time, if we lead you in worship and corporate worship, but then also teach you and encourage you and push you and prod you to have your own personal devotional worship time every day. So you can't go Sunday to Sunday. If it's just Sunday to Sunday, I'm telling you, I'm questioning you right now. I want you to question yourself. If you're going Sunday to Sunday, ask to tell me, are you really worshiping God? Are you really pleasing to him if you just go Sunday to Sunday? How many times do you eat a week? How many times do you have breakfast a week or lunch or dinner? Now, you feed your physical body three times a day and maybe more. But yet we, our spiritual body, we think one meal a week is enough? We think one meal a week is going to cut it? No, it's not. You need to eat spiritually every day. You need to worship every day. And let me tell you why that's important, because I have another example for you. In Acts chapter 19, starting at verse 13 and going to 16, it says, Some Jews who went out, driving out evil spirits, tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. See, what they said, nothing wrong with what they said. <laughs> they said the right words. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. This is an example of someone that didn't fill themselves up with worship first and went out to do a work. See, and they didn't say the wrong things. 
They said, in Jesus' name, I'm going to drive you out by the name of Jesus. But here's the point. They didn't have a relationship with Jesus. They didn't have a worship experience. They didn't have this filling of the power of Jesus in their life to give them the authority to use those words. So we then as a church, as an American church, where's the power? Where's the authority? What are we standing on? What are we working on? What are we depending upon? When we call out our name as a Christian church or as a Christian country, are we? Does the devil afraid of us? Is Satan fleeing from us? Or he's saying, I know Jesus, I know Paul, and I know a lot of people in this church, because I know there's a lot of people in this church that are that kind of people. I know that. I know there are people in this church that are praying people, that, are, that, would, that will chase the devil away. I know that. But what about the rest of us? Are we all that way? Am I that way? Is the devil afraid of me? He is if I worship. He is if I worship first. And then allow the works to follow. Worship is not a feeling. You know, we base our life so much on feelings. We talked about this briefly in the wedding yesterday, about love. Love is not a feeling. Love is a commitment. Love is a commitment that I will do Every day for you, because I love you, because I'm committed to you, I will do. Worship is not a feeling. There are days when I wake up, there are days that you wake up, and you don't feel like worshiping God, do you? I know that. I don't. I'm assuming you're not more spiritual than I am. Are you? <laughs> Maybe you are. But there are days that I don't feel like worshiping God, but I can't base my life on feelings. I can't. I have to base my life on the Word of God, and the Word of God says, do, 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 do. And when I do, things change. See, we're given in James chapter 5 a good instruction here. In the King James Version, I love the, the way it says it in the King James Version. James 5:16, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The effectual, fervent prayer. Effectual, continual, fervent, heated, passionate. If I, had a, if I had a cake box, and I was going to bring one in, but I forgot it. But if I had a cake box, and if I was going to make a cake, I look at the back of the cake box, and it says, mix in all the ingredients, you know, put in the, the, the water and the eggs and the mix, and then put it in a cake pan, preheat the oven to 370 degrees, or something like that, and put it in there for 20 minutes. And in 20 minutes, your cake's done. Right? And that's the requirement. That's the formula it takes to make that cake. Well, what happens if I said, you know, I don't have time to wait 20 minutes, so I'm going to crank the temperature up to 700 degrees, and I'm going to leave it in for 10 minutes. You think it's going to cake? You think it's going to be a good cake? Or what happens if I say, you know what, I'm not feeling like I can be so fervent this morning. I, I can't handle it. I'm just going to... I'm just going to come and sit and sleep. That's like putting the oven at 100 degrees and then leaving it for 45 minutes. Is that going to make the cake? No, see, you have to follow the directions. The directions say, 
370 degrees for 20 minutes. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man says continual prayer with a level of urgency, a passion, and urgency availeth much. Just because I'm a Christian doesn't guarantee me anything unless I participate and, and activate my faith. And so I, I just can't sit in a church and be a Christian any more than I can sit at home in my garage and be a car. Just because I spend a lot of time in the garage doesn't make me a car. Just because I sit in a church pew doesn't make me a Christian unless I activate my faith. Turn up the heat. Spend the time necessary. Now, what is that time? I don't know. And I'm not going to tell you your formula. I'm not going to say it has to be a half an hour, or 45 minutes, an hour a day. I don't know. It may be. There may be days where you're two hours. There may be days when you're 10 minutes, 15 minutes. I don't care. I don't know. All I know is there must be a consistency. There must be an effectual, a continual effort of prayer and worship. And then some people say, well, you know what? I can pray, and in 10 minutes I say everything. Everything's done. I, what, do, what, what do I do? And I've heard that more times than not. I've even done it myself. I, I, I pray before the Lord. I come in, and I, and I say my effort. And I, I, I say the things I need to say. And then I say, well, well, now what? Well, let me give you an example. Mark, you're an example, man. Come here a minute, if you would, please. All right, Mark's my boss, Okay. So I come to Mark on Monday morning, and I say, hey, Mark, you're a great man, man. Thanks for being my boss. You know, thanks for the paycheck. Thanks for, you know, making my life good at home. I bring my check home. My wife's happy. You're providing everything for my family. Hey, thanks a lot. I appreciate that. I've got a few things I've got to ask you, though. Um, what do you want me to do today? And, uh, you know, about that other activity, do you really matter that project? What's, when's it due? What do you want me to do on that um, yeah, I've just got a couple of questions to ask you. And I walk away. Are you talking to me? I'm walked away. I have no idea what he said. He may be talking. He may be giving me all the instructions he's got for me. He may be saying, Mike, I want you to do this. I want you to do this. I want you to do this. But I just walked away from him because I'm too busy. I've got to go. So I just asked him all the pertinent questions. I asked him everything. You can sit down. Thank you. But I just, I went, but I asked him, but I just walked away. See, worship is not just me talking. Worship is me sitting in the presence of God, listening. What do you want, God? What do you want me to do today? Holy Spirit, what do you have for me today? Who do you want me to minister today, Holy Spirit? Now that I'm full up, what do you want me to do with this? And I sit. And I wait. And I know that goes against our culture, doesn't it? I know that goes against the American philosophy because we're work, 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 busy, busy, busy. Things to do. We've got, we got to run. We've got to run. We've got things to do. We're ADHD. <laughs> I know that. But the Lord's saying, slow down. Slow down. I learned that last week. I saw people do that. They have a 24-hour prayer room there. And uh, when I first got there, my six-hour schedule was all mixed up. Um, I'm not sure how the time goes. I guess uh, 
right now, if it's 12 o'clock here, it's 6 o'clock in the morning there. So the first night there, I wake up like at 3 in the morning um, because it's like 9 in the morning here. So it's like, you know, my still all screwed up. So I wake up at 3 or 3.30, whatever it was, and I can't go back to sleep. So I get up and say, you know what, I'm going to go in the prayer room. I walk in the prayer room and there's people in the prayer room. There are people there that live there and they're in the prayer room at 3.30 in the morning. I thought, God, I'm here because I can't sleep. They're here because they're chasing after you. That's the bubble, folks. That's the bubble that they're living in that I necessarily maybe can't bring it back. But I want to. I want our lives to be so filled up with Jesus. So filled up with what it means to worship Jesus. That we do it continuously. We're instructed in God's word to do that. We're instructed in God's word to pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Worship continuously. Complacency is the church's worst nightmare and the devil's dream. The, the church's worst nightmare. Now listen, so that nobody thinks that I'm being legalistic here, I don't want anybody to think that, John chapter 14 says this. John chapter 14, verse 15 to 17, it says this. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and he will be with you. Go back to the first sentence. If you love me, you will obey. If you love me, you will obey. The question I have then, what is your attitude towards worship? What is it? Yeah, thanks, Jack. What is your attitude towards worship? See, our attitude towards worship should be this. God, I don't want to do this. God, I'm tired. God, I don't have time. You're making me do this. And I have to do this because I have to fill in the box to say that I did this today. I don't want to do this. Our attitude of worship should be, and I think we should pray it to be this way. God, I have such an ache in my heart. I'm so homesick for you. I'm so homesick. I haven't been with you for now for a little bit of time, and I can't wait to get back in your presence. I can't wait to spend time with you, God. Pretend you're a, pretend you're a teenage person that have gone, a home, gone away for the first time. You remember that ache in your spirit, that, that homesickness? You remember what that felt like when you were homesick? You just wanted to go home, and you, it literally made you sick because you were missing your parents so much. You're missing that. You remember that, what it's feeling like? That's the feeling we need to have when we're out of the presence of the Lord. God, I just want to be with you. I just want this. I just want to be with you. So this morning, let me challenge you with this question. If you can't feel that at some point in time, do you love them? Do you love them? Have you really given yourself to them? 
Oh, I wish I could tell this to the whole United States nation because it's the whole nation that needs to hear this, not just you guys. I know I'm taking it out on you. Don't feel personal. But I'm telling you, though, do we love them? Do we love them? So I'm going to take the next few minutes and just practice worship. Take some time and check your love. Check your commitment. And understand, you don't have to worship like Jackie worships. You don't have to worship like I worship. You don't have to worship like anybody else. This is not a form of worship. This is a heartache of worship. This is a heart issue. God sees the heart. You, know, you may want to come and lay on the floor. You may want to come and raise your hands and just weep and cry. And that's awesome. That's great. But whatever form of worship you take, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm really asking you, really, from the bottom of my heart, don't let this come in your ears today and go out. Make this a daily activity. How powerful do, do you want to be? How much do you want to be respected in the spiritual world? How much do you want the enemy to flee from you? He will flee from you only as much as you put in up here. How much? How powerful do you want? It's your choice. Anybody can do it. All of us can do it. Let's just take the next few minutes and stand or sit. Let's just sing a couple songs. Let's praise them. If you want, us to, be, if you want to be prayed for, I'll be up here. Others will be up here. We'll pray with you. We'll pray for you. But let's just take the time now and just let the Lord just sink in and settle in our spirit. Let's just worship him right now and spend some time with him. It's a personal thing. So just let the Lord deal with you personally as we spend time just praising and worshiping him for the next couple minutes. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. them in a while, you just may feel a little awkward, but understand that's okay. God loves awkward. He, he loves a, a spirit that is saying, God, you know, I haven't done this in a while. Maybe I'm not real good at it. And he says, yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. Just do it. Just lift your hands. 
So lift your voice, lift your heart. Just do it. I, I'm happy when I hear you do that. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. He's such a gracious God. He's such a compassionate God. He's such an un, unjudgmental God. He's so forgiving. If we come to Him with a heart, if we come to Him with a heart of worship, He's so receiving of our heart, no matter what it looks like. Just come to Him and recognize who He is and His authority and His power and let it flow through you. I need some help. For those here this morning that are filled up with Jesus, I need some help. Because I'll tell you, um, and one of the things that I was instructed to do, and I believe these men were godly, they were right on, and they said, Mike, you cannot do this on your own. As a pastor, you cannot stand here in front of your congregation on your own. You need to have a band of people praying for you on a regular basis. And I really have a hard time with that because it's prideful. To me, it seems prideful to think that I want people to pray for me. But what these men said was that understand the office that you hold. Understand the office of pastor. It's not about you, Mike. Get rid of the pride, Mike. Lay it down and ask for help. And I need help. I need you to pray for me. I cannot do this on my own. If I'm not honest before you, if I'm not bearing my soul before you, then I'm not honest before God. So I need prayer today, but more importantly, I need prayer every day. I need that I need prayer. If you want this church, if you want your church to be powerful and effective, then pray for the office of pastor. Then pray that the pastor gets the word of God every week. Not because of who I am, but because of the office of pastor. Okay, Can you, does that make sense? Can you do that? I need you. I need your help. I need people to stand around. Jackie needs your help. Pray for Jackie. Pray for the worship leader. Pray for Riley. Pray for Drew. Pray for the worship leaders, the, the youth leaders. You want your youth to be ministered to? Pray for them. Hold them up every day in prayer. 